The 10th Collective is an initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design created to help connect Black designers searching for their next opportunity with the companies that want to hire them. So if you're a Black designer and you're looking for a new job, go to thetenthcollective.com to sign up for free or check out the link in the show notes. Speaking of jobs, Revision Path's job board is now part of the 10th Collective, and you can go there to browse job listings, post your own job listings, and sign up for email updates when new job listings are posted. This week on the job board, Old Dominion University is looking for the following positions in Norfolk, Virginia. A lecturer in game development and game programming, and an assistant professor of photography, also tenure track. For more information on these listings, including DEI statements, qualifications, salary, and more, visit revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. We're here to help you find your next big opportunity today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. As you know, we're helping raise money for Selma Tornado Relief with the United Way of Central Alabama. Last month, a tornado ripped through my hometown of Selma, Alabama, and it's going to take a real community effort to help get things back to normal there. If you're in a position to help, then text the word SELMA to 62644 and donate any amount that you can. Also, if you send me proof of your donation, I will match it 100% up to the first $1,000 donated. Again, text SELMA to 62644. I'll also put this information in the show notes. Big thanks to all of you who have already donated. Revision Path is sponsored by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is also sponsored by Hover. Do you have something new that you want to launch this year, like an art project or a podcast or even your own website? Whatever it is that you're passionate about and you want to build it online, Hover has got your back. You know, everything online begins with a domain name, and Hover makes the process of choosing and using your domain name a piece of cake. If you get stuck, They have a best-in-class customer support team that can help you out every step of the way. And there's free Who Is Privacy, meaning you can keep your identity safe from hackers or any bad agents out there. Get started today with Hover by going to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. If you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Also, as I mentioned this in other episodes, we have a new hotline. So if there's something from a particular episode that really stuck with you, or if there's an interview or a guest that you really love, you can actually call us directly and leave a voicemail message. The number for that is 626-603-0310. You might just hear your message on a future episode. Again, that number is 626-603-0310. We'll put that in the show notes also. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with children's book illustrator and artist, Aliana Harris. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Aliana Harris. I'm a freelance illustrator from South Jersey, and I mainly illustrate picture books, but I also do editorial, commercial, advertising, chapter books. I illustrate a lot. (laughs) How's the year been going for you so far? 
it's been going pretty well. It, it's a different, it's kind of different than last year. Last year, I took one a lot and the year before that. So I've been trying to just chill a little bit and take on less just so I could align myself with projects that I really want to do. Yeah, I find that a lot of creative folks I've talked to, you know, just on the show and off the show, like they really started the year off kind of slow, like they're really kind of easing into 2023. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. That's what I've been doing my best, you know, just picking things that I, I really, really like that I'm really, really into. Well, I mean, based on all that that hard work that you talked about before, I hear that congratulations are in order. Um, there's a book <laughs> a book that you illustrated that won in the Black Kidlit Awards. Is that right? Yep, yep. It won Best Biography in the the first Black Kidlit Awards ever. Um, it's called Marvelous Mabel. It's about the life of Mabel Fairbanks, and she was the first Black figure skater, just the first Black famous figure skater. And she came up in 1930s, 1940s, New York City. So it's basically about her early life and all the things that she went through while trying to learn how to figure skate. And it actually won. And it was the biggest surprise ever. I just went on Instagram and people were like, hey, Eliana, you won. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, uh, and I look at it and said, best biography. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe I actually won. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I also saw just kind of from, you know, peeking around through social media, you also recently did some work with uh, Pentagram, which is a, a extremely well-known agency. How was that project? It was pretty awesome. They emailed me and they said that they wanted some work done in the picture book style for an animation for the Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And basically they said that they wanted me to illustrate a character named Abeo, and she was about six or seven, and they wanted a good representation of a kid in early elementary school, just so that they could show it to policymakers. Mm -hmm. And um, it was up to me to come up with the character and what she looked like and how she moved around. So I actually ended up illustrating a lot of the keyframes for the animation. And a lot of the assets, just, you know, the things that she's holding, like her books and, and pencils and different formulas. And it was a really amazing process. I got to work with the great folks at Pentagram and another animation studio named Kong in, in the UK. So that was really, really awesome. How long did that project take just overall? You know what? Animation... Well, actually, that would be more advertising. Those kinds of projects are really, really fast paced. Mm -hmm. So that took about, I would say, under a month, maybe about like three weeks. So wow, it, it was, fast. It, yeah, it was really, really fast, but it went really well. It was pretty straightforward. Well, since we're, you know, kind of already getting into your work, I want to keep, you know, going down that road. We talked a little bit before we started recording, and you mentioned that you started professionally as an illustrator in 2017. But prior to that, you were kind of, I guess, testing the waters maybe on Etsy. Is that right? Yep, that's right. I started right after college in 2015. And it was funny because my mom, she said, well, if you're right out of college and you want to do this illustration thing, then you know what? I'm going to give you two years so you can figure it out. And do your best to figure it out in two years. And if not, then you could go right into probably like a master's program. So I was like, okay, I really have to figure this out. And the best thing that I could think of was to just sketch and draw what's around me or things that interested me. Mm -hmm. So I did a ton of sketches of places in Philly. And I also did a ton of illustrations of different Philly foods and different pop culture things like living single in a different world. And I ended up putting them on an Etsy shop. And it actually did well as soon as I started offering those prints. And that's where I got my start. And how was Etsy? Like, was it a good platform for you to kind of, I guess, test out whether or not you had a market for your work? Yeah, it was really good. I was really surprised, actually, because when I put them on, I was pretty convinced it would take a long time. But it's crazy. But it was a week, only a week that, that someone first but one of my prints, and I actually think it was a Ferris Bueller print that was my first sale. And mm. then around that same time, I started sharing 
my illustrations on Instagram too. So I started building an audience on there. Is that the one where they're like at the Sears Tower and they're like leaning over and their foreheads hitting the glass? I love that one. That one is so good. It's so good. Thank you. Thank you. That's the one I did that one. And then I did one different ones of their Cameron's, I think it's Red Hawks jersey, Sloan's white leather jacket, and then Ferris's shirt slash vest combo. And that did well, too. So that was kind kind of my start on Etsy. Now, you mentioned earlier, like when you were working with Pentagram, that they wanted like, quote unquote, like a picture book style. What does your process look like for illustrating a picture book? Like, I would imagine it's probably different from working with an author than it is working with like a company or a nonprofit. Yeah, definitely. Well, for picture books, it can actually take a long time. It could take a year or more because I don't actually work directly with authors. I usually work directly with the publisher. So I usually get those projects through my agent. My agent, Alex, she usually emails me with a manuscript and she's like, you know, what do you think about this? Do you like how it sounds? Are you interested? And then I look over it and then I say yes or no. And then if it's a yes, then I look over the manuscript again and then they might send me these things called art notes. It's Usually they're within a template for the book. So usually they place the text within the book so that I have a place to, to sketch everything. And then they give me art notes, which basically tell me what to draw. But lately, lately they haven't been giving me art notes. They've just been saying, okay, here's a manuscript and go for it. So mm. I just sketch things, whatever comes to mind, whatever I think fits the story best. And then I send it back to them the editor and the art director go over it and then they come up with feedback and notes and then I revise and then usually it's a a bunch of revisions, just a cycle of revisions. Mm -hmm. And then I go to final art. I start to add color. Sometimes I do rough color. Just, I just place colors around and then they give me the go ahead and then I kind of fix that up. And then it's another cycle of revisions. And then after I finish the final color, I usually go over it again. And then that's it. It's it's a long process, but it's totally worth it. And you mostly work with the editors. That's interesting. I, I For some reason, I thought you'd be working more closely with the author since it's like their words and everything. I know. And, and usually when... Well, when I started, I thought that would be the case, too. But no, I work directly, directly with the art director and then the editor. Um, Usually it's both of them together. For my last couple of books, I talked to the author, the authors after the process. It's really funny. I usually don't talk to them, not unless it's through the editor. Hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine the authors are, I mean, do they like that process? I guess. I don't know. I guess that's not really for you to decide, huh? Not really. Usually they're, I guess they rely on the editors for that. So Mm -hmm. they send, if they have things that they want me to include, like if they have reference photos or other things like that, they send it through the editor and, and then I work from there. Interesting. Interesting. I guess, well, I guess if the author's writing the book at that point, they're like, look, you got it from here. (laughs) I mean, I guess it sounds like, you know, the authors are, are happy with it. You know, I would imagine that would be kind of awkward if, you do all this illustration for the book and the author's like, I don't know if this is really what I wanted for the book. Yeah. Oh no, that would be so awkward, but I mean, I would work work with it and then I'd get it to a place where we're all happy, but, but yeah, they, they leave it up to the editor and the art director. I'd say for one of the books, it, it was actually a, a early reader and it was about Jeffrey Holder, the, the actor and Broadway star. Mm-hmm. I actually had to go through a lot of revisions for that one to just to get it to a place where the author was happy with it. It wasn't that she wasn't happy with the art, but it was just a certain kind of feeling that she wanted because mm-hmm. he's from Trinidad and, and she just wanted it to have that like the, that homey, like bright feeling, just like Caribbean feeling. And it took me like a few revision cycles to get there, but I got there. So so she was happy with it. Well, to that end, like when you're illustrating for a book, is it more about trying to accurately convey the story or is it about making something like you sort of just mentioned, making it more visually appealing? It's both because you want the reader and usually the reader is a kid. You want kids to be able 
one, to know what they're looking at and two, to, to feel something from the book. So it's usually my job to get it there, to get it accurate enough where they know who they're looking at just by the parents. But it also, it's up to me to, to make it look good enough in terms mm-hmm. of color and mood so that, that it really affects the readers. Well, yeah, I mean, like you, you said, it's a picture book. So the picture has to be sort of the, the primary focus almost, it sounds like. Right, right. Yeah. You know, aside from that, that Jeffrey Holder book you mentioned, was there ever like a particularly like challenging illustration you had to create for a book, whether it was like technical or just getting the, the look and feel right? Oh, my goodness. Yes. It was actually my first picture book called The Journey of York. And that was more of a, I'd say it was more like a oil painting type style. It was way more realistic. And it had a lot of different landscapes. And all the people had to look really real. So it took a lot of work to get it to a point where it looked right. So it had all these different locations in the Pacific Northwest and all this vegetation and and all these people. And it was just a lot of going back and forth with my art director, Lori. And it took a lot of research, too. They actually sent me a book, and I, I do not remember the name of it, but it's somewhere in my bookcase in back of me. But they had to send me a book, and it had a lot about the clothes that they wore during that time. And it also had some examples of the places that Lewis and Clark went, because it was basically about the enslaved man that went along with them. And he was basically the brains of the operation alongside with Sacagawea. So it was just a lot to that artistically. Mm. Now, I want to get more you know, into your work and your career. There's some really like dope things that you've done that I want to talk about. But before we get there, let's learn more about, about you. Now, you're originally from Philly, but you were raised in South Jersey. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So I'm I'm Philly born. My parents are both from Philly and I was raised in South Jersey about 20 to 30 minutes away, like Northeast. So Philly is really important to me. And yeah, I was raised in South Jersey in a, in a very, very close knit family. Yeah, it was a pretty, <laughs> pretty cool upbringing. My, the town where I was raised in is predominantly black and I mostly went to Quaker schools growing up. Mm, um, okay. And for those that aren't familiar with Quaker schools, it's basically Christian, but they believe that the light of God is in everyone and they don't have like worship services. They just sit in silence for <laughs> for a little bit of time uh, mm-hmm. weekly. They're known for just very rigorous academic programs. So I went to Quaker schools for K through 12, kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. And it was really a, a awesome experience. Did you do a lot of like drawing as a kid or as a teenager? Oh yeah. I've I've been drawing forever. When I was when I was little, when I was like a toddler, I would just scribble in all of my mom's legal pads. I would just <laughs> <laughs> every single page I'd just scribble, like turn the page, scribble, turn the page, scribble. And then she'd go to work and then take out her legal pad and then all of them were just covered in scribbles. Um, <laughs> when I got a little older, I would always doodle in the uh, church programs. And by the time I got to middle school, I would keep a sketchbook with me. Mm-hmm. And my mom and my grandma were like super supportive because they'd always, they'd always be like, did, did you remember to bring your sketchbook? Always remember to sketch. And I would just sketch everything that was around me. And in high school, I was more of an academic type kid. Like I was very math and sciencey. So um, I didn't really take a lot of art classes, but I always kept that sketchbook next to me. Now, that's interesting you mentioned that about being kind of more more math and science but also into like drawing and art. Is that kind of what initially pushed you into architecture at Temple? Yep, that was it. Because I was into math and science, but when I was trying to decide what to do, I was like, I need something with an artistic bent. And I thought that would be architecture. Mm-hmm. So I got into Temple. I was in their honors program, actually, and I was also accepted into their architecture program at their Tyler School of Art. And it was it was a really, really great program, but I did not enjoy it one bit. 
I thought that's what I wanted to do, but I just, I got there and I was like, I don't really enjoy this like I thought I did. I mean, I did well, but I was like, no, it's got to be something other than this I could do. Yeah, I can imagine like, I mean, when I went to school, for example, I went to study computer science, computer engineering at first because I wanted to be a web designer. Okay. Now, granted, this was like late 90s, early 2000s. So web design was not... I don't want to say it wasn't a profession, but it certainly wasn't one that you could, I think, really study in a lot of schools. Like most schools just didn't Mm. even have a curriculum for it. And I remember taking it that first semester and talking to my advisor about it. And he was just like, oh, the Internet's a fad. You don't want to you don't want to get into that. Like nobody's going to be interested in that. (laughs) And he's like, if that's what you want to do, you should change your major. And so I did change my major. But you like went even further. You completely transferred schools. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone, I'm pretty sure everyone thought, I, I don't know, that I was maybe that I was a little bit crazy because they're like, you're at Temple, you're at a great art school, what are you doing? I had a, a, a really chunky scholarship that I was just not throwing away. But, but yeah, it's like, I need something more creative. So I actually ended up looking up other schools and mm-hmm. I found University of the Arts. And it happened to be on the other side of Broad Street. Temple University is on, on North is on North Broad and University of the Arts is on South Broad on the other side of City Hall. So I looked them up and I saw that they had an animation program and I was like, I think this would be really great. And I sat my mom down. I was like, listen, I have something to tell you. And then she's <laughs> sitting at me like, what, what is wrong? And I was like, I want to go into animation. She's like, oh, oh my God. Okay, that's fine. Just figure out how to apply and we'll just go from there. So I went to the open house. I applied and I actually ended up getting a bigger scholarship there than I had at Temple. Whoa, look at you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Who knew? So I ended up at University of the Arts as an animation major and that's where I graduated from. How was your time there? Oh my goodness. I loved it. It was different from Temple because number one, it's smaller. It's private compared to Temple, which is public and and, and it's bigger. But it's smaller, but it's right smack dab in the middle of Center City. So right on the Avenue of the Arts. It doesn't have a campus. It's just within everything. <laughs> it's within Center City. Mm-hmm. So when I got there and I got to the dorm and everything, which is basically like an apartment, it was kind of culture shock because you have to learn how to navigate. It's kind of like living as an, a, an adult, quote unquote, even though you're in college. Mm-hmm. So it was just interesting to having to meet people again because I transferred. So I didn't get to go to orientation. So I had to like meet people. And it was really great because I always kind of liken it to uh, fame, <laughs> like the school and fame. because. Mm-hmm. UArts has so many different majors. It's just such a comprehensive arts university. So it has musical theater and fine arts and film and photography. And then I tell people it's like fame because we would sit in the dining hall and then people would just start singing and dancing and everything and, and just be in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. But it was a really great time. Just so many creative people, so many things to do so many great professors. It was really awesome. I enjoyed it. I made a lot of great friends, still friends with them today. And now do you feel like it really sort of prepared you once you graduated and got out there working as a creative? Yes, definitely. Because it allowed me just going there to take different types of classes. I had my animation, you know, my core classes, but I was also able to take film classes. And I learned a lot in those and just the things that I learned within my film classes, it directly applies to how I see illustration, just like my point of view. And I also took illustration classes. And actually, my illustration classes, that made me realize that I really wanted to go into illustration more mm-hmm. than animation. So for sure, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, that kind of environment because there's so many One, there's so many different creative disciplines happening at once. But then also, like you mentioned with that lunchroom example, you're getting to see people exhibit their craft like Mm. you have the the possibility and the potential to go into anything else just by getting inspired from being in that environment, which I think can sometimes be a lot different when you're at like a traditional, you know, liberal arts school because you're so Mm. locked into 
like your major, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. Yeah. And then, as you said earlier, you know, after you, you graduated for your early career, you kind of started out with just, I guess, freelancing, like starting out on Etsy, seeing if you had a market for it. And then that's sort of where things took off. But you said you sort of started professionally in 2017. So what were those first two years like after you graduated from UArts? They were really interesting because I did things on Etsy. I was starting to build an audience on social media, but I was also doing commissions for friends and family members. So there are some people who were like, hey, can you you know, do this cover? Because I have a book coming out. So I do stuff like that. Yeah, so I did a lot of commissions. I even taught senior citizens how to paint. I would go to assisted living places and mm-hmm. we would have little paint and sip nights. And that was fun. That that was interesting. I'd also do stuff like that. And I actually, closer to 2017, I illustrated a book. Well, my cousin worked within the school board of the Philadelphia school board. And she was working with someone who had a company that had to do with the school board. And she wrote books. So she was looking for an illustrator. And my cousin was like, hey, my cousin is an illustrator. You might want to check her her portfolio out. Mm-hmm. So she did. And she checked my portfolio out and she liked it. And she was like, hey, can you illustrate this book for me? So that was actually my first experience illustrating a book. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And actually, that was the main experience that made me want to illustrate books. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Now, you've said that there's, you know, we talked about this before we recorded, but you said there are a lot of different paths when it comes to, you know, kind of illustration as a career and that you can make it lucrative. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, you know, for you initially, you kind of tried out a bunch of different things. Like you were teaching senior citizens, you were doing Etsy, you were doing commissions. Like, what are some of those paths that people can take if they're looking to pursue illustration as a career? There are a ton of different paths. I guess just thinking about my major, I was an animation major. So most of my, you know, my classmates, they ended up going the animation route. They also illustrate, but they, they're within story of animation. So they come up with the storyboards, they come up with the plot points, they do stuff like that. And then I also have friends that are animators now. So you could definitely go that way. Within illustration, I know people who illustrate commercially so they do different advertisements or they work with brands like google or apple or adobe i know people who work within art licensing so they do the patterns that go on clothes Mm. or that go on on different products there are just so many different ways you can go or like me you could go into picture books Mm -hmm. or you could do comic books and there, there are just so many different ways you can go. And it kind of sounds like you can, I guess, maybe once you get further along on one path, you can maybe sort of bounce between others. Like if you're doing picture books, maybe you can also do like editorial illustrations or something like exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of leeway. There's a lot of leeway because some people can look at your work and be like, you know what? That would work over here. Do you want to try it out? Like that happened with me. Someone from, I, I think it's called the Phoenix International, they had a, they're making a graphic novel about Ida B. Wells. Mm-hmm. And they're like, do you, do you want to work on this? I, I know it's a comic book, but, and I know that you do picture books, but do you want to work on it? And I said, sure. And I ended up doing a graphic novel. But yeah, that's definitely how it happens. You could just kind of jump from style to style. And I would imagine your process probably still mostly stays the same, even if you're doing these sort of different types of illustration. Yeah, 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 pretty much stays the same. You're right. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm curious to get your take about AI generated art. That's a discussion that has really popped up, I'd say within the last, I don't know, I'd say four to five months, particularly Mm -hmm. once people, people started using uh, what was the app called Lenza? Yeah, and they started making those AI generated avatars and and putting them out there and everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. The discussion around it, I think, has been so interesting because I've heard from artists that are like, I hate this. This is theft. I can't believe this is happening. You know, that sort of thing. And then I hear it from like the average layperson that is surprised for two things. One, that the the art looks kind of nothing like them, which, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you had a, a computer do it like that. Yeah. That makes sense. But then secondly, they're more perturbed that they had to pay for it. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, you paid money for that? I wouldn't get, you gave them how much money? And like, I would see people like on Twitter and stuff searching around trying to find a free alternative because they didn't want to pay Lenza. Oh, I, I think yeah. it was like $8 or $10 or something like that. So yep, they're like, yep. well, I found this Chinese app called Me Too and I can do it there for free and da 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 da, all this stuff. From your perspective as an artist, mid journey, stable diffusion, all these, you know, kind of AI generated art algorithms and apps and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on all that? I have so many thoughts. <laughs> First of all, uh, well, just, I guess the bottom line, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan because some people want to use it to replace working artists. I saw this big thread on Twitter with this guy who used, I think he used stable diffusion to make a picture book. And everybody was getting on him about the picture book because all of his characters, they weren't consistent. It just didn't look right. Oh, yeah, because I think he, I, I saw that. I think like cause he also used chat GPT to write the book. Yes, that's it. <laughs> that's it. And yeah, I'm not a fan because it, it is theft because it it needs other people's work. At least uh, Stable Diffusion does. It needs other people's work to create art. So why don't you just actually pay an artist to actually do the art instead of stealing the work to make something out of it. Also, I feel like using AI, you're not really being an artist. You're more being a client because the AI is doing the work. You're telling it what you want it to do instead of you actually actively doing it. And I know it's less work to tell software to do what you want, but the process is the biggest part of making the art. Mm-hmm. And you're, t- you're taking all of the process out of it. There's a friend of mine. He's an art director at a, at an ad agency. And he's been trying, he's been like learning mid journey and been posting the results on LinkedIn and stuff. And it looks nice. I find that, <laughs> I find that the AI art has a particular. It's a look. Style. It's a, yeah, it's a very, it's a particular look. Yeah. Very stylized, like heavy shadows. Like it, mm-hmm. it. All the art kind of looks the same, mm-hmm. regardless of who the subject is. But like he's he's been taking a class, like apparently like people have written classes about like how no, to ask no, the yeah. right prompts to get it to do the right thing. And it's like it's so interesting seeing how far people are willing to take it, I think, just to sort of see what the possibilities are. Yeah. And I kind of think it's like, well, there's so many ways that we could use AI that would help or make our lives easier but i just don't think that that's the best way to go about it it's like why don't we use ai to figure out our taxes or do or do like you know the work that we don't feel like doing like having to do bookkeeping or something like that but the actual art part that that it really takes a human to do like you're taking that Mm -hmm. that away it it kind of i'm not really a fan but hey yeah, it's so interesting what I, at least from what I'm seeing people trying to do, like, I think it does unlock some people's creativity that doesn't necessarily have the skill to it maybe, does. like, take the idea that they have in their head and really, like, draw it or even, like, spend money to get someone to draw it. So they'll say, oh, well, let's see what AI can do. Like, I, I saw, I think this was on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Someone had done, like, a like a race-bent Adams Family. Yeah, where the Adams family yeah. is all black. So then they had all of the, you know, Gomez and Wednesday and Morticia, et cetera. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And then you look at all the comments that are like, somebody needs to take this to Netflix. I'm like, Netflix already has <laughs> both the movies and the new series. Not saying that they couldn't do this, but like, what is, I think when people see that, one, I don't know if they're under the assumption that the person created it, but two, like, if they were to take it to that extra level, mm. that's when you got to get humans involved. Exactly. And and you were talking about the level of skill. That's so true because I, I think people want to avoid, I'm going to say this, but like the ugly phase mm-hmm. when, when your work doesn't look that good, when you're still learning, but you can't avoid it. To make good art, you have to make bad art first. So, you know, that's also why I'm not a fan. But yeah, you, you kind of skip over that phase where you're just learning the materials, learning if you work on a computer, you're learning the software. You skip over that to try to to make art that's presentable. Mm-hmm. And you can't. I do have some writer friends that are using it 
just for like character sketches. Like it helps them to take the character that they're writing about to like visualize it. So they'll mm-hmm. do it for that purpose, but they're not going to take that and then like go to a designer or an illustrator and say, I made this on mid journey. Can you mm-hmm. touch this up or can you do X, Y, Z? Like I would imagine some people will go that route. Don't do that, but I can see some useful applications of it. Yeah. As long as it doesn't get to like the person creating the picture book. I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like if there is a way to do it without stealing other people's work and styles, then that would be interesting to see. But mm-hmm. I, I just don't like that a lot of the different programs are stealing other people's work and, and not even paying them for it. They're just taking it. Oh, I like this person's style, so I'm just going to plug it in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I know Getty is suing. I think they're suing Staple Diffusion I because heard. because it like because one thing that Staple Diffusion does, and I guess all of these algorithms or AI things do it, is they'll take the watermarks too. And so Getty Images always has that big rectangular watermark across yeah. their picture, and so there are like AI generated images that have malformed versions of that. And yeah. Getty's like, ah, ah, I don't <laughs> think so. You got to pay us for that. Yeah, exactly. And there's this thing going around on Twitter. People were saying, oh, maybe you should plug in Disney and see what happens. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can feed stuff to it to make it, yeah. you know, to, to make it better. But to what end is uh, is this going to come from? Because I'm, I'm starting to see applications of folks using AI for music, for example. I think Google has this like beta program out now where you can give it a couple of phrases and have it generate music in a particular oh style, yeah. which I know musicians will hate that, but yeah. it's interesting how far we're trying to take artificial intelligence in a way that subverts like human creativity. Exactly. And it, along with creativity, it makes you think of ethics too. Like where exactly do we stop? When is it okay? And when is this not okay? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a bigger conversation. I mean, educators now are already having to deal with that with uh, with chat GPT. Yes, like, yes. I, I've been talking with a couple of educators now that are just like, there's some are still trying to wrap their heads around it. Mm-hmm. Others are already changing their syllabi to say like, don't do this, you know, right. and, and we're starting to see school districts and stuff crack down on it because students and, and this is, you know, to a point where in an educational perspective, this is really dangerous. Students don't know the difference. No, they don't know the nuance or, or or the the particular human parts of this. They just see it as like, oh, this can do my homework for me. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you're so right. It's it's really something. It's really something to see. It's so many new developments in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Technology. I saw this while going through your Instagram as I was doing research, but you even got to draw Will Smith in front of Will Smith. <laughs> I did. I did. It was crazy because. The folks at Harriet's bookshop, they contacted me and and they were like, hey, we're having this book tour stopping in. And we were just wondering if you'd uh, work with us in, in setting it up. And I was like, oh, my God, of course. So as I was working with them and getting everything set up and working with working on possible drawings, I was like, OK, something's up because one, this is like this project is is really rushed. It's going really fast. So I feel like this is someone important and I don't know who this is. Mm-hmm. And then and then I emailed them and they're like, yeah, so um we figured we'd let you know it's actually Will Smith and this is <laughs> this is about Will Smith's book. And I was like, oh my goodness. So they were like, okay, so the people from Westbrook. Westbrook, Westbrook yes. yeah. So they're like, Westbrook is gonna call you and they're gonna ask you to do a portrait and you're gonna say yes. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll say yes. And um, I actually had to meet with them and send in past sketches to see if they approved. And then they told me, well, we're going to show this to Will, see if he likes it. And I was like, oh, my God, you're going to show it. To- <laughs> you just heard to be Will Smith as just Will. Okay. So they showed it to Will Smith. They showed it to Will, and he liked it. And I ended up sketching him in front of him at the um, event. And it's funny because I I didn't get to finish the sketch because the whole day was actually pretty hectic. Mm-hmm. But um, I was able to give him a drawing that I did. And I actually have the process video up on my Instagram, too. And I was 
able to give that to him. And he's like, wow, that's definitely me. And I was like, I know. <laughs> but, um, but it was great to just be able to say hello and shake his hand and say thank you and just to see how it went in person it was just amazing that was an amazing day is he like philly royalty yes without a doubt <laughs> <laughs> i've always been curious about that because i mean so much of of course his his early story has been about you know in West Philadelphia, born, you know, like we all know that. But then, like, I think so much of his professional career has been wrapped up in Hollywood and California. Yeah. Like, I was just curious about that. Oh, no, he's definitely royalty. And when actually before he got there is just tons of people. There's even a guy dressed up like him in his Fresh Prince days. Like really? striped shirt on the sideways hat. <laughs> and they're like, these people, they're like, oh, we walked so far to be here. And there are people from like, the Carolinas, I think they were just waiting for hours and, mm -hmm. um, and he pulled in and people were just losing, um, six ABC was there. They're like, you know, fresh Prince returns. Like he's definitely, he's definitely Philly royalty. No doubt. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Now you're represented by the bright agency and, mm -hmm. and the bright agency reps, a ton of animators, artists, and authors. How did you go about, getting representation and like what are the benefits for you as an artist of being represented by an agency it's funny it was actually pretty serendipitous my friend love is wise they're an illustrator they're really amazing we went to college together we went we both went to uarts they were an illustration major and they told me they said you should join women who draw it's a really great website it's basically a database of women illustrators and you just put a piece of your work there and you say your name and different things about your identity. And then people go there and look for artists. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll do it. So I uploaded my info. And not too long after that, I'd say months, my first agent, James Burns, he said, hey, I like your work. Is there anything that Bright can do for you? And I was like, you gotta be kidding me because it's, Actually, Bright was the agency that I was looking at when I was starting to plan sending out my artist postcards. And the fact that he found my work on Women Who Draw and then reached out to me was absolutely amazing. So from there, I said yes, and I've been represented by Bright ever since. What are artist postcards? What's that? Is that like a calling card of something, some sort? Basically, yeah, you put a strong piece of, of art it could have different themes. It could be like seasonal or, you know, just whatever piece of art that you like most. And you put that on one side and then you put your information, you know, your name, your, your website on the other side and you send it to art directors or agencies. Mm -hmm. Basically if they like them, they keep them and they keep you in line for projects. Okay. So you kind of use that to sort of like shop yourself around a little bit. No, I didn't even start. I went on, I put my stuff on women who draw and, he and they came to there. you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what are those benefits of being repped by an agency? I would imagine it sort of just takes a lot of the admin stuff off of your plate. It does. It really does. That's what I like most because contract stuff that goes to them. They have people who specifically work on contracts. So I could go to my agent even about payments or deadlines and they could talk to the publishers in the companies on my behalf. It's just great having someone in your corner who knows the field better than you do. And then all you can do is just draw and get paid. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I would, so much help. well, I mean, I, I mean, that's the dream for, for all creatives is to be able to have that, the freedom to do that. Like just do your work, get paid and not have to worry about all the like, in between stuff. So that's yes. great. Yes, yes. It's 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 definitely a blessing. I'm definitely grateful to work with them. It's it's really awesome. And now you've got a couple of books that are coming out a little bit later this year, right? Yep. Yep, I have two. The first is Good Things by Mariah Green. And that's a picture book about a boy named Malcolm and he lives with his dad and I believe it's in Harlem. So that is grandma and his dad actually um, passes away. So he has to learn how to take care of the plants that his dad left him. And it's a really good book about grief 
and about plants too. I got to got to illustrate a lot of plants because Mariah is a amazing like plant doctor in New York City. So mm-hmm. so there's that book, and I also have there. These books come out in August, I believe, the first of August. So there's also Recipe for Change, which is by Michael C. Platt, and he is pretty young. I believe he's in his late teens or his teens, but he's a chef. It's a cookbook, and I illustrate different foods in different scenes based on the civil rights movement. And each of the recipes align with the scene. And so you have a recipe and a story and a portrait, and it's really, really educational. So I have those two coming out in August. Nice. Are they both like available right now for pre-order? Because I want to put links to them in the show notes so people can check them out. They're about to be. Recipe for a Change is actually about to be open for pre-order in the first week of February, and okay. I am still waiting on word for good things. Okay. Well, hopefully by the time this comes out, which will be right around like mid to late February, we'll, we'll hopefully have links to both of those. We'll certainly mention them as well. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. So how do you stay motivated and inspired like with your work? You know what? I, I just think it's... It's a part of my personality. I'm really self-directed. I have a lot of family support, especially from my mom. And there are certain things that I just want to see out in the world. And I want and I want kids to be able to see themselves in books. And that just that drives me. Like that's always the thing that pushes me. So I, I have no lack of of uh, passion or drive. That that always pushes me. Do you have a, a dream project of sorts that you'd love to do one day? Oh, my goodness. I feel like I have a lot of dream projects. I'm always into little known stories of figures that we definitely should know about, but we don't. So I love picture books that have to do with subjects like that. But I'm also interested in going back into animation. I'm not leaving picture books, but going maybe into the visual development part of animation, maybe character design, and maybe one day art directing. That would be amazing for an animated series. That would definitely be a dream for me. That would be mm. amazing. Like, is this a series that you'd create yourself? Ooh, I'm open to it. I didn't even think of that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but now that you say it, yeah, that would be great. It could be it could be existing too, but 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 anyway that I could art direct or do character design that that would be a dream Hmm. what do you appreciate the most about your life right now i just appreciate being able to use the skills that i've worked on i guess i could say gifts too just to be able to use them to help people learn and and just just give them material to to look at just new books and being able to help kids read and learn new things. That's just a blessing. And I never would have thought that this would be what I do as a career, but I absolutely love it. I love being able to sit, sit down in my room and just draw and then actually have it turn into a book and into things people see on bookshelves. That's just amazing to me. And I'm just forever grateful for it. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what kind of work would you like to be doing? Definitely more picture books. I could see myself, I guess, along with the animation thing that I just mentioned, I could actually see myself working on a series. But other than that, I could see myself doing more commercial work, kind of like what I did with Pentagram. And I actually, last year, I illustrated a gift card for Target. It was a Christmas gift card. I can see myself doing more more of that, more brand work. But yeah, those are the things I can see in the future. Yeah. Oh, oh nice. We just had Dominique Brown. She has a company, a lifestyle company called Domo Inc. And she has a collection. Hmm. Part of her, I think, yeah, part of her collection's at Target now for Black wow. History Month. And um, she also did a few cards for... American Greetings, I think it's a okay. card company. She did mm-hmm. she did some cards for for them too. So I could I could totally see your work in that vein. That 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 would be Thank great. You. Thank you. I would love it. That would be so great. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you and your work and and your books and everything? Where can they find that online? 
Sure. Well, you could go to my website. It's alianaharris.com, A-L-L-E-A-N-N-A-H-A-R-R-I-S.com. And I'm also Aliana Harris everywhere on social media. So you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, even Tumblr, (laughs) TikTok. (laughs) You can find me all those places, Aliana Harris. All right. Sounds good. Well, Aliana Harris, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show I think that just the work that you're doing is so inspired and really, I think, driven by your own particular creative passion. I mean, you know, as as a kid that grew up reading a lot, like, you know, (laughs) reading competitions and all that stuff, you know, there is just such an importance on children's books that I think sometimes kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Mm, Um, And so the fact now that we have so many black artists, especially like yourself, that are creating the books with authors that children are going to read that are going to help shape them into becoming the people of tomorrow. I think it's just such a, an amazing and inspiring thing. And your work is just so beautiful. And I'm, I'm so excited to see what you do next. And like I said, we'll put links to, uh, to your books in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. This was great. I really enjoyed this. Big, big thanks to Aliana Harris, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Aliana and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is sponsored by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is also sponsored by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With best-in-class customer service, free Whois privacy, and more, Hover is there to help you bring your online dreams to life. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Wit. If you like this episode, let us know. We're on social media on Instagram and Twitter. Just look for Revision Path, all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify. You can follow us on Amazon Music. You can even leave us a rating, a five-star rating, and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can even call and leave us a voicemail message. Remember our hotline, the number 626-603-0310. It's also in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.